It's Chesalon 5. It's the show where we talk about Londo and Jakar. They don't like each other. They're not friends. One shot the other is mom and friends. Huh? What? That's not true. Is that canon? No. Eat my poo. Okay, let's, uh... What? Oh, wicked, 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 wicked. Hey, my name's Mo Lari, and I'm here to say my friend Veer's over there, and he's a he's great. Uh, he's got nice hair. It's like a fan. Now it's time to bring it back to my main man, Stan. Yo, my name's Stan Lee. That's what I do. I'm a psy cop, and I'm here to, to schmoo. The Babylon Project was our last best hope for peace. A self-contained world five miles long, located in neutral territory. A place of commerce and diplomacy for a quarter of a million humans and aliens. A shining beacon in space, all alone in the night. It was the dawn of the third age of mankind, the year the Great War came upon us all. This is the story of the last of the Babylon stations. The year is 2259. The name of the place is Babylon 5. Hello and welcome to Chats, a television podcast, season six, Chatslon 5. My name is Alan and so much has been lost, so much forgotten, so much pain, so much blood. And for what? The past tempts us, the present confuses us, the future frightens us, and our lives slip away moment to moment, lost in that vast, terrible, in-between podcast episodes. But there is still time to seize that one last fragile moment, to choose something better, to make a difference, as you say. Welcome, Magellan, my co-host. Hey, oh, hey, I thought you were going to tell me what you were welcoming me to, but you already did Welcome to this, to, to Chatslon 5, yes. Oh, you got me. You got me really pensive at the start here. I figure I'd get you in this state and then prompt you with a question. Yeah, sure. What, what do you got? How, how does this podcast episode end? Oh, yeah. In flames. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> in flames. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, boy. First of all, first of all, we're going to forget. Happy oh, New Year, everybody. Hey, it's 2019, Happy New baby. Year, 2019. We're celebrating it with episode 18. Get it. R- get Yeet. it right. Yeet. We're celebrating with this dope, dope pairing oh, of episodes. Man. Oh, boy. I'm just, we, we just got to get into it. I'm, I mean, Happy New Year. We're here. Thank you for listening, enjoying Babylon 5, Chats on 5. Chats, we love you. Let's go. We're talking about two episodes this week. First up is season two, episode nine, The Coming of Shadows. Then we're talking about season two, episode 10, Gropos. First up is The Coming of Shadows, the first episode of Babylon 5, by the way, to win a Hugo Award. Fun fact. Oh, and it deserved it? Yes. It extremely? Extremely? <laughs> 100% deserved yeah. it. The Coming of Shadows was written by J. Michael Straczynski. It was directed by Janet Greek. It aired February 1st, 1995, and it takes place 
uh, on June 13th and ends on June 17th of 2259. Magellan, if you can, please tell me <laughs> some form of what happens well, in the coming year. Here's the tip of the iceberg. The emperor of the Centauri Republic comes to Babylon 5, but his failing health results in his peaceful mission being transformed into an opportunity to ignite all-out war between the Centauri Republic and the Narn regime. Oh, yeah. Oh, um, yeah, baby. It, Alan, it can't be as good as that sounds. No, certainly not. It's actually better than what, what you just wait, said. Wait, what? Yeah, 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 yeah. You gotta believe me, guys. Yeah, this is like... Okay, so it's weird that this episode is so good. Because yeah. we're, we're, it took us <laughs> until season two, episode nine for Babylon 5 to be like, Hey, guys. Hey, how's it going? It's me, JMS and company. Uh, you're fucked. <laughs> here's your ass (laughs) and they they set things up and they pitch it and then they knock it out of the park and it's just amazing that this is the same show that we've been watching for uh whatever 18 weeks now yeah unbelievably good episode of television i like easily the best but it also super duper requires you to know what's been going on right so it rewards you for it it, it deeply rewards you every character like hardly there's only like one or two people that are introduced here for the first time most of them are people we've been following for so long now and watching them kind of collapse and just have a really rough time of it um it's heartbreaking and there's just so much emotion in this episode from the very beginning it starts on centauri prime and you're like whoa we're in a new, like we're on like very one of the cool most important set. yeah new planet brand new set there's like some humans talking to the emperor of the centauri people and uh he's realizing his old values are super outdated he's he's like he's like yeah man like sometimes i think that like maybe this whole monarchy thing's bad also maybe women are okay right right (laughs) like whoa (laughs) well and and what he's talking about there is that i guess he has to wear a hair piece to have the hair the big hair yeah yep yep and he's like man Maybe maybe being bald is okay, right? After all, like our our ladies, how our ladies are bald, and his prime minister is like, "Whoa, oh, don't say that, That's, dude! You're being crazy right yikes. now, bro. <laughs> you're being nuts." Uh, we, uh, I love that set though. It's amazing. It's just it's this really like very cool, ornate, yeah. beautiful set. And then uh, we cut back to Sheridan and Jakar talking about how the emperor is going to come to Babylon Five, which is exciting. Um, yeah. Sheridan basically employing this argument of like, because Jakar's like, no, they killed my people. They're bad people. Why would you let the Emperor on? And, and Sheridan's like, yeah, but he didn't do that. <laughs> like, right. H- Hitler didn't kill your family. <laughs> like, wait, no, but. Right, right, right. Uh, and he's like, no, that happened years ago. Like, it's fine. Like, he was involved. It's just his whole family and yeah, his regime that he's his a part dad. of. dad. And like, it's just his people that hate you. But has he harmed you personally? Come on, dude. Like, come on, be chill about Sheridan's it. Sheridan's a real dick in that scene. Yeah, he really. He's very, it's very parental. I think uh, Sheridan's like parentalist tendencies work when it's conflict, and conflict is happening. But when he's trying to avoid conflict, it's just like, no, guys, but like, be cool. Like, don't fight. He's come not on. Much of, he's not much of a diplomat. No, that's that's Ivanova's job. He's more of like, okay, now that we're fighting, here's how we stop fighting. <laughs> right. Here's how we slowly work towards not fighting. He's uh, definitely I, got more of the instinct of I'm the commander of this ship, so my orders are my orders. 
than Sinclair ever had. Oh, absolutely. God, yeah, that's very true. Yeah. And uh, one of the things I actually, not 99% of this episode is amazing. My only like minor gripe is that like it just feels so busy because with the Emperor coming on the ship now, basically every faction that has ever had a reason to hate the Centauri uh, sets up a assassination plot. Right. And we watch all of those pieces happening at once. And it just leads to the episode feeling like hilariously busy, um, which kind of works once everything blows up. It's like, oh, wait, all those plans are canceled. Everything's canceled. Nothing worked. And we were, uh, bad, bad, bad. Yeah, but you, you think about the alternative where, because I think it's busy, but I don't think there's anything superfluous mm-hmm. in the episode in terms of like things we want to see or know. And the alternative is that we get a two-parter that's like Coming of Shadows part one and part two where part one goes all the way up until the emperor faints. And then it's like to be continued, you know? Oh yeah. And I'm glad that we didn't get that. And yeah, true. I'd rather, I'd always prefer the tighter pacing to uh, like drawing out and then putting the boring stuff in the second half. Uh, I also really love that the jet, the emperor is not assassinated from what we understand. Yeah. Dude's just old. Yeah. He's just dying. He's just sick. He's just really sick. Like he passes out before his like before his his meeting and his procession. Yeah. Uh, also, the emperor just an amazing performance. Yeah, uh, pretty good. The the monologue that you were quoting from uh, was impactful. I I enjoyed yeah. it. Yeah. It hits really hard in the moment. Like, uh, I'm trying to remember what the actor's name is. I'm looking right now, but uh, I was reading about him. Uh, Turhan Bey is the actor who plays the Centauri Emperor. Um. Sadly, no longer with us. He died in 2012. He's a Turkish actor who was like one of the biggest figures in like Turkish and German cinema uh, in his time. Hmm. And it's always cool. Like uh, Star Trek kind of did stuff like this where they would bring like a really famous, well-known actor to do like a role and then just die. Because they're like, like, I don't want to keep him on the show. I know like the emperor is important, but we have other things to do. We're not going to like make the show about the emperor and bring this old guy back and forth on our set. Yeah. So he uses his time really well. He delivers these great monologues, uh, great conversations with Sheridan, just about like dying. Um, he has really sad conversations, like the one that I quoted, and um, talking about how he wishes uh, he hadn't started conflict and he regrets a lot of his life. And when you get old, you look back and realize, like, I started a lot of crap. I made a lot of enemies. I made a lot of problems, and it didn't yeah. work out the way I wanted it to. Well, and what he says is his biggest regret, which is, uh, you know, it's important to understand where he's coming from to understand the tragedy of the Narn Centauri conflict. Is he says that he was born into this position and he didn't choose it, and he has felt like his whole life he has never made a choice. He's just been on the rails of you are the leader of the Centauri. You are supposed to make the Centauri Republic grow as large as it can grow. And you're supposed to put the Centauri before everybody else. And his whole life, he's accepted that as truth and fact. Um, And he's realizing at the end of his life, oh, you know, if, if the person in my shoes had just been the person to say, I'm sorry to the Narn, and not done this then things would be better and maybe things would start to be okay and it's on me that i i never viewed my life as something that i could control even though i was like the ruler of my society 
Right. I, I that that part you actually mentioned was the one that really got to me, where he says he literally like if if somebody had said I'm sorry, and yeah. you realize that that phrase just doesn't get used a lot, and when it does, especially in, in a show like this, where a lot of the tension comes from the lack of like communication and empathy, a phrase as simple as I'm sorry could have literally ended a war, in just like a mild reparation or something in a conversation with a compromise is all they needed. It was very simple. Um, and everyone is so wrapped up and obsessed with pride and, and their personal legacy. Uh, and it's poisoning the chance for there to be peace because, and we see it in different ways for Jakar and, and Londo mm-hmm. in this episode, because Jakar, first of all, and the other Narn talk like, Oh, you know how the Centauri are. And they murdered my people and they occupied our home world and we can't let them ha- that happen again. And then he sort of sees the emperor coming as a chance to cement his position in the story of Narn culture as mm-hmm. like the guy who exacted revenge. Um, and it seems, and for Londo, his legacy is tied up in like being the person who won these huge battles and conquered these narn or these narn colonies and his story is someone is of someone who brought his civilization to victory over another and nobody's conception of like legacy has anything to do with being the guy who got everybody to stop fighting and what does that say about their societies what does that what does that say about our society and about human civilization that the sort of like the most titanic figures the people who are lauded above all others at least for a vast swath of human history are like military leaders and conquerors right the the people who who make the most famous difference are the ones that that fire the first shot well and the the last shot right and the last shot right the people who started end things uh honestly incredible work from both uh, andreas katsoulis and peter jurassic this episode yeah um, Jakar in particular, like kind of having a mini version of Londo's arc in the last couple of episodes where he's realizing that like, I have to do this bad thing and I'm going to make my peace with it. Like we get to watch him write his will, his like little yeah. audio will. Yeah. Uh, and he says there are only three possibilities. Like either I, uh, kill him and get myself or uh, I kill him and go to jail forever or I fail to kill him. And I know which one of those I'm going to take. And it's like, oh, my God, like he's ready. He's accepted it in a way that honestly, I love how it parallels Londo's whole situation because Londo isn't ready yet to accept that he's made a bad decision. Like he still is holding on to this idea of like, ah, like Rifa's like really messed up and like I don't like him. But, you know, eventually he has this conversation towards the end of the episode with uh, with Veer. Mm-hmm. who is firmly on the side of like, this is all a bad idea. Right. This is and, fucked up. You're going to remember this conversation one day and right. understand how I'm feeling. And Alondo's like, I, I get it. <laughs> like, I'm also freaking out. We're both screwed, but I'm in so deep right now. I might as well take this to the end. Yeah. Oh God. Oh God. And mm-hmm. so you're watching Jakar come to accept the horrible things that he has to do. And you're watching Londo doubt himself over and over again. And what it comes down to is that Londo's actions are driven by the base assumption that peace with the Narn is not possible. Right. Because 
they just hate each other too much and they've been fighting for too long and he keeps having these future dreams of, oh God. of him and Jakar choking each other to death. Um, and, you know, he's able to justify, yeah, I'm murdering all of these people, but I'm just part of this story and part of this conflict that was going to happen regardless. So if the war is going to happen, I might as well be one of the heroes of it. I'm yeah. sure that's how he's thinking about it. And really such a powerful scene. Um, the and, one in the bar with the two of them? Such a rich use of dramatic irony. Oh, where Jakar has received the message from uh, Dr. Franklin, uh, or from the Emperor via Dr. Franklin. Yes. Which is that the Emperor was coming to Babylon 5 to apologize to Jakar and to the Narn. And so Jakar's like, well, hold on. Okay, well, maybe all these Centauri are not assholes after all. They buy Londo a drink because all I really want is to be his best friend because we're the same person. We are the and same person, yeah. <laughs> at our core, we could really, really be friends, except that we think that the other one hates us a lot. And that's why we hate them. And so Jakar is going into this like, oh my God, Londo, I've heard this news. And Londo thinks he's heard about this <laughs> war strike that he's ordered. Um, mm -hmm. And just... I mean, we can talk about all the all the emotional states that Jakar goes through in this episode because it's really an impressive range. But I yeah. think the the most um, chilling moment for me was the moment where Jakar uh, basically says that he has hope for Centauri Narn peace, and Lando's face is like fuck. Oh it's, no! If Kirby, if, <laughs> what if it wasn't done, if it wasn't the saddest thing in the world, then the Kirby enthusiasm music would have had to start playing right there. <laughs> right. right, right. It is like the tragic, you know, war genocide version of that. Of a like a yeah, not yeah. Peter David, the other one, Larry yeah, David, Larry being David. like, uh, Jakar is just like you know what, Londo, like we're best friends, and I I think I love you. I think we should hang out. I'm gonna cancel all of my plans to fight you and kill you, and maybe we won't choke each other out. And then Londo, <laughs> Londo with a knife in the back is like, uh, um, well, <laughs> we are here. This is hell now, and we're already in it, and you don't even realize that the knife I mentioned earlier is in your back. Um, so like this is all metaphorical, obviously, but it's just and, it, yeah. I was gutted. And you have to again, it's. It's cool to see from the beginning of the show to now, Jakar and Londo oscillating between believing that peace can happen or believing that it's impossible. And they're never quite in sync with each other because at the beginning of the show, it seemed like Londo was sort of burned out on thinking that peace was attainable, but that there's some hope in him somewhere. And Jakar uh didn't have that on his mind at all he seemed cunning and um uh, like he was willing to position himself to be this sort of stirring leader of the narn and he was interested in painting the centauri to be demons regardless of circumstance and then both of them have kind of changed their position and londo's and remi reminded in this moment that there was a time where he believed that peace was attainable. And probably a part of him is an ambassador on Babylon 5 because he believes that at least a little bit, or he did at some point. 
Right, you don't become an ambassador uh, if you're like exclusively uh, having eyes on war. Right. It seems like this job is kind of a dead end job mm-hmm. for Londo. Um, and so you have to believe that at least somewhere in there, he thought that it could happen. Maybe when Sinclair was, uh, was commander. And in that moment, he's like, it's my fault. I gave up on the dream and I was ambitious and selfish and I'm damned. I'm, yeah. I'm going to hell. That's just that's just what's happening. The the part of Londo's arc that I am the I think I'm the most interested in and invested in is uh, whether or not he fully accepts at some point his position as the most owned man in all of space. Mm-hmm. Uh, because he has these visions, like we talked about. We have so much to talk about in this episode. Oh my god. Yeah. He has these dreams and they come up like three or four times in this episode. It's like several shots. One of them is like he's in a desert and he sees ships flying overhead, which cool trivia about that. Uh, That was based on uh, JMS had a dream like that where he was like in a desert and like saw military flying above him and and was terrified by that dream. And he was like, I want people to see if that's as scary to them as it was when I had it as a nightmare, which is really fascinating. Um, He has another one where it's a gigantic hand reaching out from, I presumably, Zahadum. Which is, you know, that's the yeah. thing that Technomage said is like a hand is going to reach out and get you or whatever. Yeah. We don't know if that's metaphorical or what the hell. And then the third one uh, is definitely the one that's like most rich with thematic significance is the... And there are a ton of parallels in this episode to Midnight on the Firing Line, the pilot. Mm. Yeah. Um, Jakar and Londo talked in that, spoke in that episode about how the way they both see each other going out is with their hands around each other's throats. And it's going to happen to them. And they're both going to be you know the at their highest position in society and it's going to happen and we see a version of it mm-hmm. londo after being crowned emperor of the Sentai republic uh we cut forward like 20 30 years and he's like wrinkled and old and he's in the throne room and it's empty yeah nobody's there he's the king of nothing uh and he's just he looks so miserable and full of regret and then jakar walks in with like a blindfold over one of his eyes like i i just saw that saw that as like a uh norse mythology thing because what's his face uh thor's dad uh odin, odin or whatever like lost his left eye also so i thought it was they were like doing that reference and he just goes in and, they, and then they strangle each other yeah and londo is replaying this scene over and over and said like it's happening do am i and then later again that scene we mentioned earlier where veer is talking to him like oh why didn't you ask rifa to make you emperor like to make you diplomat you could have been on your way to being emperor and he's like i don't think i want to be emperor anymore veer yeah I don't know if I want the th- the whole reason we did this anymore, Veer. I think I messed up. Right. Because if I because if being emperor just means I'm gonna get choked out by my worst enemy, then like, is that a life? Is that a life that I want to live? Like surrounded by nothing and dust. Yeah. And also, it it reminds you of season one Londo self reflection, where he in that episode where he falls in love with the lady who is like a lower class yeah. Centauri lady. Born to the Purple? Yep. Thank you. Born to the Purple. And he talks about how as he's reaching the end of his career, he's realizing that like title and status are meaningless and in some ways are these sort of like gilded cages. Um, And he feels that he's having to live up to a certain expectation, but it's just left him feeling lonely and uh, bereft of the true joys of life. Right. And it's... He had it figured out, you know? That's the tr- that's the really tragic thing about Londo as a character is that he was there 
And then whatever this Reva part guy of him, comes through. Yeah, whatever part of him was ambitious and had wanted to be great is is uh re reignited by what what's his name? Moloch or what's the guy's name? Rifa, Lord Rifa. No, 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 not Rifa. The the guy Oh, Morden. Some guy Morden. Uh yeah, Morden tugs on that one string and undoes decades of Londo's self-reflection and and wisdom. Yeah. And it's basically the same sentiment that the emperor is giving on his deathbed of like, "Oh, this stuff is meaningless actually." titles and power are dumb they do nothing for anybody and people chasing them are the reason that we kill each other and they're the right. reason that we can't attain peace and Lando's like oh yeah a year ago i i understood this whoops looks like i undid all that progress you, you yeah. mentioned um you want to tell people about the thing you heard on the in the uber today oh yeah i was <laughs> i was in this uber and the driver is listening to the radio. I don't remember what the sh- what the show was about. Um, I think it sort of had something to do with like robots being doctors and okay. like trying to teach robots to have empathy or like human decision making or something. Uh-huh. Um, I don't remember. And then it got somewhere where it was talking about uh, just like peace and war and and the guy was like the most powerful force in human history has been like human stupidity or something like that yeah accurate and then he was like you know it takes many wise people to build peace but it only takes one fool to start a war Mm -hmm. and it's like yeah preach it to him fuck (laughs) lando just did that lando is the one fool yeah um, and it's uh, it's also we can we'll talk about Lorifa also, but in the moment where the emperor dies, uh, before he dies, he says he really, really, really wants to see a Vorlon, which is interesting because I don't like know how where like people know about Vorlons if they're important to society or what, but he's excited about it. And he really wants to see what a Vorlon looks like, and then uh, he's in the hospital, and Franklin's like, "All right, I'll step out here. Hey, check it out. It's Kosh, guys. Remember, it's Kosh from last season. Remember? Yeah." You know, and Kosh walks in, and you're like, oh, buddy, that's so cool that you're here. Like, wow. And uh, he looks at the emperor, and the emperor looks back, and he says, uh, what do you see for the future? Like, what, what, how is this all going to end? And then, like you were saying, Kosh just says, in flames. Yeah. <laughs> Don't fucking doubt it. You know how this is going to end. Yeah. And then the emperor's like, oh, yeah. All right. Thanks, man. <laughs> right. Kosh is like, I'm not here to comfort you and yeah. give you a nice thing to think about as you die you don't get to have that emperor dude you you fucked up you, you started this and it's gonna blow up worse it's gonna get much worse before it gets anywhere else yeah in flames and uh at this point he like has the rest of the people surround him really cool like lore thing uh the emperor has a bunch of like bald telepath ladies that follow him around yeah and they're like, yeah, they all communicate with each other. And it's like a cool, like Ivanova just gives a, an exposition dump at some point. And she's like, yeah, they all are mentally linked with each other. And they basically work like live security cameras. Um, and so they're surrounding him and Rifa comes in and uh, Londo comes in and he's like, I have, I have to tell one person one more thing. Rifa comes in and he's like, get the, get, no, shut up, go away. Not you. Give me the eternally owned sad man over there. And then Londo comes up and he whispers and they're like, Londo, what did he say? And he's like, 
we're doing great work. You know, we're doing amazing things, and take, he's really take proud of people us. People to the stars, I think he says. Yeah, <laughs> let's, let, we're our, we're on the way, man. This is this is it. And then they walk out because they don't want to. The psychics to hear that. And then Reaper's like, "Come on, what did he say?" And he's like, well, "Dude, no." He said, "He said stop." He, <laughs> he said, said, "We're we're all we're all damned, or we're both yeah. damned." Yeah. You and I are both completely screwed. And then uh, I thought Rifo was going to say something like, uh, well, he's the one who's dead and we're not. But he, he says, like, that's the price of immortality. Yeah. And it's like, what immortality? Like, Rifo is such a fascinating character to me because he represents a version of Londo who doesn't have the intelligence and wisdom that comes from old age. Like, right. he feels like he could just be a Londo from 20 years ago who saw an opportunity for power and was like, yeah, of course I'll become emperor. That sounds perfect. I, I, I was like so interested in him in this episode and in that moment because he's not going to get any sort of immortality if he climbs to the top, not in a literal sense. It seems like he just means immortality in the fame sense. Yeah, in that's the, what like, he means, like becoming emperor and being known forever. Remembered yeah. forever. Yeah. But like, what is that worth when you've destroyed millions of people and blown up colonies for it? Like, you want, you're going to be infamous, man. Right. Yeah, I mean, I think... The difference between Rifa and Londo is that Londo uh, is moral, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, he's making mistakes and he's going against his morals, but he has morals. Or he, at least at the end of the day, wants to be remembered as somebody who did the right thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and who did the best for his people and was kind and a good person. And Rifa doesn't give a shit about that. He doesn't yeah. care. That means nothing to him. Um, and so he has no worries about being damned or, or anything like that. Exactly. And, and we're going to, obviously he like has to be horribly killed at some point. That's the way this arc works. Him being but... foiled to Londo in that way, it makes sense why he is doing Londo's accent. That, <laughs> that makes that feel more, um, artistic. Yeah, I thought it was really funny to go onto the Centauri homeworld and be like, no, no, nobody here talks like Londo. Londo's weird. Yeah. <laughs> they just talk like people, mostly. They all have kind of accents, but none of them have the Londo, like, vampire accent. Um, so we've kind of jumped around here. We, we've, like, said all of the major stuff. Uh, before he collapses, Jakar is, like, going in to kill the Emperor, and he has this cool knife, and then the Emperor collapses, and he says in his room when he's writing his will, he's like, oh, he had the indecency to start dying on his own. Yeah, that was so great. He's, yeah, he's doing this like Shakespearean monologue at his Narn buddy on the Skype screen. And then um, he's writing his will. And we mentioned most of it. He also, he leaves uh, the book, the book of Quad, blah, blah, blah. Uh, the like The Jaquan book to uh, to his attache, to Natoth. And he's like, in the hopes that she will find enlightenment. And it's like, <laughs> my like imagine you're, like someone's like really conservative dad being like, and to my gay liberal son, I leave a copy <laughs> of the Bible. <laughs> With the hope that they may cleanse themselves of their sins. <laughs> it's like, okay, Jakar, you and your cool book. But I still appreciate him a lot. And uh, yeah, yeah, we see that. It's interesting to see how how far Jakar's commitment to uh, religion is willing to go. Because it yeah. seems like <laughs> when it comes to like, well, they hit us first, it's all out the window. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, you had mentioned that maybe we should talk uh, now that we're getting into like the introduction of the Narn Centauri War. Uh, the difference between what was it the the relationships between the Minbari, yeah, and the humans. 
Yeah, well, it it seems like the show is trying to... It's giving us two pairs of races that have this complicated history with each other. Um, the Narn and the Centauri have mm-hmm. a century of, of bitter hatred and a past where the Centauri colonized the Narn and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's going into war. And then we have the humans and the Mimbari who have a history of war. Um, but... Delenn's got her hair and Sheridan thinks she's super hot. And, uh, of course, uh, Sinclair is on Mimbar and doing stuff with the Mimbari. And I'm, it's making me wonder what the show's trying to say, uh, about the differences between those two pairs. And like, why does one seem like it's working and one seem like it's not? Well, what's sad is it seems to me at least like, like a race thing, huh? Well, a little bit, but it's like a human Centauri conflict happened and ended Mimbari. with a t- human, thank you, human Minbari conflict started and ended with a lot of bloodshed and a lot of tragedy. And then they said, we can't keep doing this. We need to, someone needs to reach across the aisle. Uh, Sinclair needs to go on Minbar. Uh, Delenn needs to get hair and get hot at the same time. Mm-hmm. And we need to start Bab- the Babylon project. Like this cannot go on because we have we have we have done it we have like started the war and ended it yeah. uh whereas even though the narn and the centauri have had war they haven't like brought each other to the brink of extinction yet and it feels like neither of them neither side is willing to reach across the aisle at all especially after this episode so like they are just still at the early onset of a big tragedy and hopefully they can see the Earthman Bari War as an example of like what happens when you're not willing to give up your moral, your your whatever, uh, your morals. Uh, it's it's sort of like I hope that they can see that as an example and learn from it before everyone dies, and use history as as a path. But it doesn't seem likely anymore. Yeah, I think it's just something uh, to keep an eye on. For sure, and, and what's what's also fascinating as we kind of tilt towards talking about uh, the return of our fucking best captain ever yeah um is this conflict between the narn and the centauri has been like building and building for a while and it seems in this moment like this is the biggest thing to londo and jakar this is the biggest thing of their lives right now we are not told to forget that shadows exist though and that shadows have no like side that they're actually choosing at the end of the day they're probably going to kill everybody if they want to the only reason that they initiated any of this was so that the people would forget about them. The most brilliant thing the shadows right. did was convince people that they're not a, they're not a, a threat. Right. It seems like they've done all they need to do, and they're gonna hang back now. Exactly. But what this episode reminds us when Garibaldi goes gets his secret missive from the sky in like a really cool black outfit is uh, our boy Sinclair is back. He's still alive. Yay. He's on Minbar. Oh, so happy to hear that voice, see that face. Dude, that beautiful face. He's got hair. He's got much longer hair now, which is I cool. Loved it. Uh, I don't know what it is about people going on Minbar and getting hair, but that's a thing. Yeah. <laughs> um and not only is he alive, but he started a group of people, a, a sort of military force called the Rangers. Uh sort of like an in, like assassin uh peacekeepers or something. I think it's so this is one of my favorite tropes when a character who is like a central character mm-hmm. leaves and then you this happens more so in like video games I think 
Yeah. Um, where a character who was like a big party member in the first game, you see them, you're a different character in the second one or the third one, and you see them, and they like have a big scar, and they're leading like a huge army. And yeah, yeah. It's like, whoa, that's awesome. Um, what did this guy do in the meantime? Like, it's way cooler to think about what he did in the meantime. Are yeah, we talking about the guy from Kotor who yeah, in Kotor yes, Two? Hundred yeah. <laughs> percent. Okay, great. You got it right. Uh, what's I mean, we're talking also? about a bunch of characters from Knights of the Old Republic. Yeah, and Garrus from Mass Effect in Mass Effect Two is like, I'm no, I'm a cop now. <laughs> I'm a cool cop, and you're like, wow, Garrus. Yeah. Um, yeah, where you're just like, what have you been up to? And he's like, I started a huge thing. Not only have I started it, they've been around for months and you haven't noticed them. That's so cool. Right. It's like, I want to watch that show. I want to watch apparently that, Sinclair's show. Yeah. Uh, I haven't gotten to the part in the comic yet because I've been really busy, but like, I think they're seeding some of that in the in the Sinclair comic. Because um, I think, I remember a guy coming up to him and mentioning like, uh, like Secret Mission. But... Um, yeah, the Rangers are go- basically their job is to like get ready for shadow stuff and be prepared to help out whoever needs helping when it's uh, important. Yeah. But for now, they're just kind of on the sideline and nobody knows about them except Garibaldi and, uh, and Sinclair. And Delenn. And Delenn. Yes, at the, at the end. very end of the episode, they're like one other person knows. And then, uh, yeah, we're fading out. And then she's like, yep, hey, what's up? How you doing? Which I don't really get why that was positioned at the end of the episode to be like a whoa because that makes sense that it's Delenn. Yeah, she else, should know she's <laughs> right she's important yeah uh and also we saw her in the future or whatever with old sinclair oh so yeah you're makes right sense that they're they're hanging out and working together it is it is just great though to see michael O'Hare again and oh, hear yeah. his voice yeah it was cool Stay close to the Vorlon and watch out for shadows. They move when you're not looking for them. You're like, whoop, whoop, yep, what? <laughs> anyway, let's look at Psychor for a little while. Yeah, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> um, Jakar, at this point, once he, the moment when he finds out that Londo initiated the attack, uh, called Morden and initiated the attack on the Narn uh, outpost again. Well, I don't think he uh, even knows that Londo did it. Or he knows that it happened. He just knows that the Centauri did it. Yeah, and he just is so mad. He's this like fury in this scene is incredible. He says like he he looked at me, he looked me in the eyes, he took a drink with me, and he betrayed and he just... me. <clears throat> is what he says. Like he's genuinely right. hurt mm-hmm. because he he reached out his hand to try to create peace. He didn't think peace was possible, and he let his guard down. And look where we are. Yeah, and there's no more recovering from that. This yeah. is like the, this is the point inexcusable no crime exactly he axe handles a wall in anger he falls to the ground uh and then sheridan and like the the police come in and he's like remember number four of, of Sing, uh, sheridan's rules uh no like you're so not allowed stupid. to yeah no killing other emp- uh ambassadors on my ship or whatever it's like shush sheridan's trying to be this is like where he's being the military parent where he's like don't kill each other or i'll kill you and Jakar's like, I mean, he's going to kill all of us. And Sharon's like, yeah, but, like, don't kill him. <laughs> he does not have an argument for why he shouldn't kill Londo. Right. He's like, no, but, like, he's an ambassador. Don't kill him. Because I said so. It's like, okay. His best well, argument is, like, you're here representing your people, and you can do more good for them alive and free than, like, in jail. Yeah, and we can help you if you actually need to, like, fight a bigger war but we can't 
we're not gonna like let you kill this guy because you're mad at his people for doing bad things yeah um and so i guess they have like a permanent separation now like i don't it makes it bums me out that like londo and jakar probably aren't gonna talk to each other for a long time yeah jakar just walks right by him yep and oh they oh man they have that scene where londo's like well we have some people captured and sheridan's yeah, yeah. like all right well the solution is earth will just like intimidate you a little bit and then we'll be good right it'll be totally cool and delen's like jakar is that cool and he says well uh we're at war actually so no not so good no enough. nothing's good enough delen excellent in that scene by the way where uh I believe Londo's like, I'm sure my government will find some productive activity for them. And she's like, forced labor camps. She just like yells it. And you're like, whoa, <laughs> she knows. Yeah. She's, we're not trying to split hairs in this like very intense meeting. Um, and they're like, maybe, maybe, can we work this out? Is this going to be fine? And then, yeah, uh, Jakar's like, no, dude, we've started a war. It's called the Narn Centauri War. And it's going to encompass probably the rest of the rest of the whole show. Too bad. Um, it's really sad. We know this is like a big thing now. They're at war. There's that scene also from the perspective of one of the Narn soldiers near the planet or near the colony. And after the shadows attack, we get this like long scene of the shadow attack, by the way, which yeah. I thought was kind of cool. The CG was actually pretty decent there. Yeah, it's not, not bad. It's not bad when it's all like black, uh, goopy floating goopy things. shapes. Yeah. Because they don't have to move. They don't have to really animate. It's just like they shoot a laser. It kills the ships. Yeah. Um, but what's great is because nobody knows what the shadows are. The shadows disappear. And then earlier way earlier in the episode uh we we kind of understand that morden was probably the one who told londo like hey make sure lord Rifa sends some ships to the colony so that they can see it so that they have evidence or whatever that it's taken care of yeah. and he like tells lord Rifa like yeah just as soon as we're done attacking there just send some ships and as promised right as soon as the shadows leave the ships come by and the non are like wait that's the centauri one plus one equals two. We were just attacked by the Centauri. Okay, we're at war now. Great, cool. Now let's kill everyone. It's yeah. like, oh, Jesus. Just the, like, domino falling of all of the people misunderstanding each other and then, like, horrible war happening is the good, good tragedy, I oh, think. Yeah. Super, super yes. Uh, we have that last, that other last scene where um, uh, Lord Rifa is talking about, like, man, all these plans went really well. And then he, like, gives Veer his drink to take and, like, so he can go away. And Veer does not take it because Veer's not taking anyone's shit. <laughs> yeah i love Veer in this one Veer's fantastic i just i want to see his i want to see more of him and his opinions on the the imminent conflict oh yeah it's all very good stuff um uh, and then yeah the end of the episode is basically delenn finding out that the rangers are right exist woof. or us finding out that she knows it's a meaty uh, one woof. probably the best episode so far easily easily, easily. yeah um did you have any stray notes on this one i think we hit pretty much everything yeah yeah it's a very dense episode that was just 49 minutes almost of, yeah um i have two i actually have two full quotes from the the lurker's guide that i thought were really really good both okay. from jms okay <clears throat> so the first one is regarding uh londo and jakar's whole situation here and he says they referring to both of them uh, also focus on one of the main questions that babylon 5 addresses to itself what is important to you what are you willing to sacrifice how far are you willing to get what you want? Mm. For me, yeah. a large measure of defining who we are is by what we're willing to do and what we want and the me the means by which we pursue those goals. The other theme is sacrifice, which recurs throughout the show in one form or another. 
sometimes I think people get so caught up in what's happening and what uh, and why that they miss what it's about on a more cellular level. And that is the question of who we are. Identity. The importance of one single person and the ability of that one person to act as a fulcrum, intentionally or otherwise, upon which vast events can turn. Choices. What you value most. Those, to me, are the issues most worth exploring. We're told every day, beaten down with the notion that we are powerless, that we can't change things. You can't fight City Hall. And, of course, it's not true. You can fight. And sometimes you can even win. Like pretty chilling, right? Like, yeah, and it—I mean, it—the reason that some care, like we were saying, that Londo makes this um, irredeemable decision is because he believes that he's powerless to change larger uh, forces of resentment and uh, it sort of ill will between the Narn and the Centauri. So he's accepting something is unchangeable, right? And saying because of that, I'm going to make this other choice. Uh, that actually substantially changes things. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, yeah, like the talking about what, I, I just love it when JMS talks about the themes of the show in general. Yeah. And and we've already picked up on the, like, the show being about what do, you, what do you want and how far are you willing to go for it? And I think as I get older, I think that resonates a lot more. Yeah. Because you no longer have that feeling of, I can't control things, I can't change the world. Now you're like, I can, but I have to do something. And, what we decide to do defines us is kind right. of what he's getting at there. Right. Uh, the second quote is just a briefer one uh, about war in general. And I thought this was really great in the context of like why this season is shaping up to be really awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, your feelings, I think he's referring to the viewers here. Your feelings about the war starting are exactly what they should be. And what I wanted to achieve with shadows in SFTV sci-fi television, very often, as you state, it's yeah, let's get a war on blow stuff up. But to hear of a real war is very, very sobering. When we hear that Gulf troops are being sent into the Middle East, when we hear about Soviet troops sent into Prague, your heart stops for a moment. When Kennedy put American ships in a Cuban blockade and the world held its breath, that is what it feels like to step into possible or real war. Yeah. All you can think of is, how the hell did we get into this and how do we get out of it? And that was the emotional core of Shadows. Like, yeah. You, yeah. You, realizing it's not just... Like in history books, we know about like the conflict happened. People got mad, they disagreed, and then guns started getting shot. It's like no, it it's based on a lot of like horrible disagreements and in small scale conflicts that blow up into big uh, sort of meaningful things. And yeah, you know, it's not the way we always think about it. Uh, this actually that quote reframed the second episode for me in a way I want to talk about, um, just in terms of like contextualizing how war happens. But uh, first, I want to read uh, some emails that we got this week. Let's do it. We received two emails this week. Our first is from our pal, Danny. Uh, Magellan, do you want to read this email from Danny? Uh, Yeah. Danny says, hello, guys. Really enjoying the show. Thank you, Danny. First off, one thing I have heard repeatedly from the cast uh, was how luxurious the cast, meaning the cast, not the podcast, um, was how luxurious working on the show was compared to other shows. Cast members have said that they would often get scripts several weeks in advance and that those scripts would often be the complete shooting script. There were reportedly also zero forced calls, so it gave optimum room for the actors. Wow, that's impressive. Yeah, it's a dream. 
The reason I'm mentioning this is because I am really impressed on how JMS was able to pull this off. He would only get three hours sleep a day besides writing, producing, and editing the show. Jesus Christ. Shucks. This meant he would often pass out, and all the while, this he was able to pull off what I consider the most enjoyable and complex story arc um, of any show. Oh, man, do you have something to anticipate? Yeah, we do. Uh, talking about writing, I would recommend watching this clip. It's a YouTube clip uh, from the 20th anniversary. Looks like a panel at uh, Phoenix Comic Con, so we can link that in the mm-hmm. show notes. Um, and the video is about JMS sending out a fake script uh, to some of the actors. You said you watched this, right? I watched most of it. I think I might have. There might they might like subtly drop spoilers for later things in the show in there. I wasn't sure, and once I thought about that, I was like, I probably shouldn't watch this yet. Mm, okay. Because it's it's like literally them looking back on the whole show, and like I would watch the whole p- panel if I wasn't worried about that. Right. But the bit is basically like, uh, JMS wrote a bit where it turns out the Narn can have like a sex change when they're under a lot of stress, and Jakar turns into a lady, and he like brought it up as a fake script, and then they all reacted hilariously. Okay. Um, also heard you had some concerns on the narrative of Delenn. Well, I can only say that she will get, quote, badass later, and by mid-season three, uh, she had what many fans consider the most awesome moment of the show. So I look forward to your reaction to that. Cool. Uh, I'm excited. Thanks, Danny. Yeah, I'm I'm really happy that Danny's not the only person who's told us that, like, hold out for Delenn. Like, when we t- when we get mad at Kefir, people are like, eh, Kefir's going to not matter later. Yeah. But when we talk about Delenn, you're like, no, no, no. Like, you just wait. And that's what I... Well, yeah, I think the the frustration with Delenn is that she was cool. And then they have turned her into kind of a, like, high school girl with a crush on Sheridan a Mm -hmm. little bit. But then that... We've moved away from that in this episode and especially in the second episode, I think. So I'm already not as concerned about it. Yeah. But if she's going to, like, get to a point where she's doing stuff cool about, like, with her powers or with uh, her just, like, political power, then that is very exciting as a way for her to go. Yeah. Our last email this week is from our pal, Dan. Uh, he says, firstly, firstly, I want to quickly note that both of you have a pretty solid Londo impression. Oh, thanks. Oh, Mr. Getabaldi. Mr. Getabaldi. <laughs> Getabaldi. Uh, you can add Matt Stoner to Abelhorn and Del Varner on the list of human names that don't sound uh, normal and leave a lasting impression. Right. It's funny to me. Agreed. Um, upon later viewings, it really struck me as odd that Soulmates ends with a period joke. Uh, yes, yeah. it's made... <laughs> yeah, super odd. Correct. It's made less weird by the fact that it happens with Ivanova as the straight man, but it's also an odd way to introduce the possibility of Delenn having a human reproductive system. I don't I don't want a Delenn pregnancy plot. That's like the that's the worst. That's the worst conclusion of this, if that's a thing. I mean, dude, all the pieces are there though. No. It's please. all there. I don't want she's it. She's in and love with Sheridan. Ugh. Uh she's turning into a human. She's trying to join the human in the Mimbari to prove something about their The souls baby's the or first ever hybrid and it's like a really important baby. Yeah, dude. Of course. Oh, that sucks. Oh, that sucks so much. Of course oh my that's god. That's going to happen, dude. I mean, that happened do not. that happened in Farscape, guy. I know. That's exactly what I was thinking about. We got a hybrid baby. God. Damn. Yeah. I'm unhappy about this. Uh, he continues, a race through dark places. This is so remember last week we were like forgetting which episodes aired out of order this season. It was yeah. last week. Um because the race through dark places was aired after soulmates what was but was supposed to air before it 
what was supposed to happen chronologically was Talia helps the railroad trick Bester, and then she has her run in with Matthew Stoner. So it's supposed to be easier for us to buy the fact that she's eager to take this deal to get out of Psychor, but it still kind of works. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's more just like understanding Talia's motivations more, but she's already had doubts about them, so I wasn't like thrown for a loop that she was getting ready to get out. Yeah, it also sort of makes more sense to me. I like it better with uh, with A Race Through Dark Places second uh-huh. because it makes it feel at the end of that episode like she's fully done with them and she'll do whatever it takes to separate from Psychor. Right, because we're not going then into Soulmates where she's like, do I? Do I run away? Do I not? Do I believe in this? Yeah, yeah. And, it's a better it's a better closer on that yeah um i think so he he goes on i never know how much to talk about the ivanova and talia stuff uh but i want to add this to your conversation in the infamous script notes there are a couple of episodes every season where the idea is jotted down but the episode doesn't make it a script uh yeah there's actually a whole wiki page for unused episodes of Avalon five it's fascinating Whoa, cool yeah there was one i think in there and i'm gonna get the name wrong but it was like a day in the life of susan ivanova and i'm like whoa <laughs> give me that <laughs> I think it was one of those that was like written and almost filmed but not finished, which is tragic. Uh, one such episode involved a plot that included Ivanova and Talia being trapped alone on a damaged spaceship. Oh, man. Frick! Frick! <laughs> That's the one I want! Give me that! <laughs> and then they huddle for warmth. Delenn is at a tricky place for her character right now, so it's reasonable that you guys don't feel great about where she's at. She's having the ultimate identity crisis, and she thought she'd be this great bridge between the Mimbari and humanity. But what she's finding is that she's become this person who just gets a lot of side eye from both races. Yeah. You can take a sigh of relief from this mini spoiler. Characters change in the show. And my impression of Delenn from start to finish is that she's straight up gangster. Cool. Sure. <laughs> As a side note to the upcoming episodes, I normally avoid giving my impressions in advance, but I want to make an exception here to say the coming of shadows is the episode that hooked me into the show. A hundred percent. I had been watching, but wishy-washy up until this point. But this is the one that flipped the switch for me. And it's the first episode of the show to win a Hugo Award. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I was in. But I think every show that has great continuity like this starts in a place where it's kind of campy and kitschy. And so you like it in spite of itself sometimes. Yeah. And then has a moment of, nope, all right. And here we go. I think with Farscape, it was a human reaction. Mm -hmm. I think, Mm -hmm. you know, with... Buffy, it happens sometime in season two, like in the back Somewhere half deep, of season deep. two, deep, right. deep, deep in there. Um, but yeah, this is the moment for Babylon 5 where it's like, okay, everything matters. Uh, real shit's going on and we're not all making it out of this alive. And I'm, yeah. I'm here and I'm ready for it. The The only thing that this episode did negatively in my head was i was worried like we have to get back to a status quo not every episode can be like this unfortunately hopefully the status quo gets more interesting now and it kind of does uh sort of sort of kind of let's take a look so yeah after this brief musical break we'll be right back to discuss gropus
Welcome back to Chasalon 5. The second episode we watched this week was Season 2, Episode 10, Gropos. Written by Larry Dettilio, directed by Jim Johnston. It aired February 8th, 1995, and it takes place from June 20th to June 23rd of 2259. Alan, what happened in Gropos? Well... Uh, General Richard Franklin, the father of Stephen Franklin, arrives on Babylon 5 with an army of 25,000 Earth Force Marines, ground pounders, or gropos as they're also known, about to be deployed in a war zone. Madonna, I think it's fascinating that this episode takes place three days after the coming of shadows. Right. Nobody yeah. had time for a break. They had a short weekend and then they're just right back into like, oh my God, the war is here. <laughs> Uh, which seems really intense. I actually liked the Gropos a little bit more than I expected to. Um, obviously, it's hard for it to come out of uh, the coming of shadows and expect to still like the next episode. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously, we won't have as many things to say about this one. I think it's just kind of a solid uh, war story. But it has some good moments, and, and the performances are really good, especially from uh, Franklin Sr., Rich, uh, Richard Franklin. I kept forgetting his name, and I just kept writing it Franklin Sr. in my, my mm-hmm. notes. Uh that actor, another like acclaimed actor from like 30, 40 years ago, Paul Winfield, who's like one of the most influential black actors in the 1970s, hmm. uh, is is playing Franklin's dad. And my, my only like n- big negative is it feels like a lot of the, this is another like daddy issues time. And the daddy issues between the two of them are like the problems that like literally every dad and son have on any show ever. You know what I mean? Where it's like you're always working. We never communicate. When I talk to you, it feels like you're not listening. And then he's like, also, I'm worried you're going to die because you're in the military. And that's the extent of their conflict. Yeah, but isn't that the problem that a lot of people have with their dads? Why is why does that bother you? It's just, I've seen that plot before. Yeah, I've seen it too in my life. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, there's definitely moments... Um, because it's too... It's like super relatable. Like when uh, he says like... Oh, you would you would know about that if you talk to your mom or your sister every once in a while, and you're like, ow, ooh, 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 yeah, hot, ooh. <laughs> ouchie, ouchie, ouchie. Yeah. You just feel the the realness of like having just a grumpy military dad. Franklin's dad is not kind of empathizing with his son, who's trying to you know love all people, man, and like peace, and like these aliens are people too, and like we, I help people who are hurt. I'm not here to make weapons like you, dad. You're here to kill people. And he's like, but they're bad. I'm racist. I hate other aliens. Well, I think the compelling thing about their relationship is that what they have in common is that both of them believe that you should have very strong convictions and values and Uh stand behind them no matter what. Uh, Hey, we agree on that, Dad. Yeah. But whoops, the values that I developed are directly in opposition to yours. Right. Um, and that's that. I mean, that's the part that I uh, resonated with. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. my stepdad and my mom are somewhat conservative uh, to varying degrees, and I am certainly not. And you're a filthy uh, socialist, but that's fine. Go sure. on. Sure. Um, and so I think that's a very real uh, facet of any sort of intergenerational relationship, whether it's parental or. Um, with a grandparent or with a family friend or something like that, that at the end of the day, everybody's just trying to do their best. Nobody is 
is in this game called Life to be a villain, unless you're mm-hmm. uh, Rifa from the last episode, in which <laughs> case you don't care. Yeah. Um, but people have different ideas about what it what it means to do the right thing. Uh, and so these conflicts that we have with those that we love come from them having an idea of what the right thing is and seeing us doing something else and being upset about that and us having an idea of what the right thing is and seeing them doing something else and us being upset about that. When at the end of the day, if we could just sit down and be like, man, we just, we're just trying to be good and nobody knows how to do it. Then this would all be a little bit easier. Yeah. An entire childhood of neglect and feeling isolated from your parents is like in 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 Franklin's case is just cuz they never talked about this stuff but at the end of the day they like you said they both have similar moral values and they just took them in opposite directions uh and Ivanova right. sees this very quickly i really appreciate that she's being like the voice of empathy I again love now that, that she's they're the like diplomat. friends in this episode i loved it Our Ivanova oh, and Franklin oh man my favorite one of my favorite moments of the episode is the one where she brings she has to find where to house all of these soldiers. Yeah. And she yeah. brings some to the med bay and she's like, they can they'll stay here. Franklin says, No, this is a this is my medical facility. She says, There's only three oh, yeah, people yeah. here and they can be moved. And he's like, Is that your medical opinion? She's like, No, dude, it's it's yours. I I, I read lo- the log. I looked at it before I came. What, who do you think I am? I'm not gonna just <laughs> screw up your 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 infirmary. And then she goes to him and she's like, is everything okay? <laughs> like, buddy, man, let's talk. Yeah, Put a hand dude. on the shoulder. Like, let's let's go to the Zocalo later and have some drinks and just figure out this dad stuff. Right. And then she tells him, like, hey, I literally had the same plot in season one as you. <laughs> uh, like, nearly identical. And then my dad died and it broke me. So, like, maybe try to reach across the aisle, like, one more time with your dad and, like, come to a conclusion with him before he dies and you regret it for the rest of your life. So maybe special. I try love it. it's, that. Man, all this stuff makes me think is that Ivanova should probably just be, like, captain of the ship, right? <laughs> She's almost there. I mean, Sheridan just has to go. Uh, just go to war. Go and to then war. <laughs> Ivanova, come, like, is left behind and we come back and then Babylon 5 is, like, finally the perfect beacon of peace and, like, understanding that it is designed to be. Yeah. That's the true. That's the true place this show needs to go. But really, Ivanova is just going to go to war with Sheridan and everyone else, and it's going to be a sad war show. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, her, her, like, like I said, her ability to empathize with Franklin's situation is fantastic, and the fact that she's listening and uh, a lot of the problems in the episode just come from a lack of communication, kind of like the last one. Hmm. It's almost like that's one of the themes of the show. Um, I briefly, before we get into the lens stuff, I want to talk about, uh, my favorite character on the show. Uh, it's Warren Keffer, you guys. Oh yeah. Uh, oh, so glad to see my fly boy back in the saddle. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking fly boy. <laughs> yep. It, you're, you guessed it folks. We finally looped all the way around and I hated him so much that I actually, I only <laughs> care about Warren Keffer from now on. <laughs> And any scene that he's on the sh- the screen is like I'm just gl- I'm literally gl- glued to the screen. I can't pull my face off of it. Any he's listen. just so perfect. Wait, Alex <laughs> 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 like we did not agree to this. What do you? Yeah, what's I, happening? I gotta figure out how much of what you're saying is a joke right now. Uh huh. Okay. I mean, take a, take a guess. I would say it, you're fully joking and you hate him, right? <laughs> for for five hundred dollars, Alex, can I take that? <laughs> No, he's nothing. He's still okay, nothing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. 
Agreed. The, you can't love him because he's nothing. He's not a he's not a real person. He's <laughs> he's like a fake imaginary version of what war people are. Yeah. They basically if you ask me to describe him and his character traits, I don't think I could name one. Right. Uh it's well, <laughs> Flyboy is the one. You're right. Has a wife? Has a girlfriend? I don't know. What did he remember say he had, that? Remember he no, remember he had like the hollow girlfriend who's watching her on the little Oh right. Yeah, well he is a Babylon five character, so he has some lost lovers. Yeah, that's just that's like a law. You can't get onto the ship without having a lost lover. Uh he basically all his plot concerns this episode is he's like very grumpy because these military boys are like big and tough and scary and they come into his room and they're smoking doobies and he's like hey no smoking doobies in my room who let you in here what the heck guys (laughs) i like i like that scene where he's put upon and flustered and then he tries to be a big man and square up but then let me get a ladder and i'll beat you up come down (laughs) here big man laughs at him and he decides like, to roll with it. Like, I wasn't making a joke, but this is going okay, so I'll pretend that I was. <laughs> and then he gets in their graces and he becomes their favorite person ever. <laughs> Everyone loves him now. Uh, and he becomes like an ally on Babylon 5 for these these gropos. Um, makes all these different friends. He like becomes a mentor to one of them. And he's like, listen here, Sonny, you need to accept that you're going to die someday. And it's fine. You're allowed to die. That's what war is about. And they're like, By the way, okay. This is our canonical Chatslon 5 voice for Warren Keffer now. Yeah, that's what he sounds like on the show. I don't even know. Because <laughs> if you try to ask me what he sounds like on the show, I can't tell you. So this is what he yeah. sounds like. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's like, hey, guys, I'm just saying war's hell. I, <laughs> I watched listen, my captain I die. I liked him through the moment where he bumps into the, <laughs> the neo-Nazi guy, the like the bald guy. Oh yeah, 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 the worst guy. Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who looks a lot like that one neo-Nazi from that Vice video of um, of um, Charlottesville? Yes. Wow. Like I couldn't wow. help but think about that, especially because his introduction is uh, an act Him being of racist? racial violence against Delenn. Yeah. Um, I don't mean to make light of of that connection i apologize for doing that but that is like the mm. that's the association that i have um anyway, i mean he's so, a militant racist like he that's what he is right. but i i didn't mean to make it sound like a joke anyway, sure um yeah so warren keffer bumps into him and i was on board when warren keffer was like listen man i'll i'll buy you he's like jimmy stewart now. yeah he's jimmy stewart yeah i'll buy you another drink it's all right and the guy says no I don't take drinks from Flyboys. And then Warren Keffer goes down the tubes when he's like, let's take this outside. We'll fight. I'm going to punch you. I'm going to kick your ass. Come on, guys. And then they all beat each other up. It's like, Warren Keffer, bro, I almost left an episode having a vague positive feeling about your existence. Right. You were so close. And then you just made a bunch of war boys fight each other. And brought back the third introduction of my least favorite character from this episode, the most annoying dude in the world, this this freaking military general who's just doing the, like... Oh, the, the sergeant guy? Yeah, the full metal jacket thing. Yeah. Being, calling them ladies and telling them to walk and file yeah, and yelling every time anyone does it. It's like, guys, come on. Like, if we're going to do a war show, then you can do this once and, like, this is your one. But please <laughs> right, don't make... Right, right, right. Please don't make the, like, annoying general a thing. Uh, also... 
there is so much foreshadowing if you've watched any war thing ever that this is a, a group of people who are about to be horribly horribly killed right like from minute one it's like oh they drop in and they're like they do the missions no one else does and it's like oh cool so they're sent to be killed it's framed to them when they sign up as like you're doing you're like secret military people but you you guys are like pawns in a greater conflict and you're going to go onto the planet and then be destroyed so that you can like eventually stomp over the enemy cool that's what's going to happen oh one of you is like trying to live her life and feel something through sex guaranteed to die just just sign seal delivered oh you guys like fight right. and oh, you're like interesting like a friendly black guy who tells cool stories you're dead you're gonna die. yeah just dead you're gonna be one of you killed. has never gone to war before and is nervous about it <laughs> it's literally <laughs> check 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 yeah. it sounds like we have a group of owned men and women this <laughs> yeah. is great you guess you're all dead yeah it's so it's so um projected earlier that you're just like waiting for it to happen like one of you is a racist but he's gonna like learn to like cooperate like okay great um we have that moment where i was kind of disappointed that delenn couldn't defend herself when she's attacked by the shitty racist guy yeah uh, I, didn't, I didn't know how to feel about that because delenn's cool but she is she isn't a warrior mm-hmm like have we ever seen Delenn bust out some fighting moves? I don't think so. We know no. we know that Lanier can do that. Yeah. <laughs> For sure. We've seen Lanier's yeah. like kung fu or whatever. <laughs> flip flip this scene one more degree to the right, and instead of Dodger or whatever, Lanier comes in like backflip, open palm kicks all of these soldiers awesome. and protects Delenn. He's sick. And then Delenn, like they do like a back to back kill bill thing where they both just like slow motion kick everyone to death. Oh. I... Give me that. I was okay with the fact that Delenn... She's a peaceful person. She's a peaceful also. person, and... Yeah, and she probably doesn't have that sort of training. And she's also just flustered by the fact that, like, what we saw from uh, from Dan's email, she's yeah. having this identity crisis where she's trying to show that the races can get along. And she's coming face-to-face with a human who just hates her and hates the fact that she's a Mimbari and hates the fact that she's trying to look human. Yeah. And I think part of why she's not defending herself is because she's just totally taken aback and also is in this position where like she is trying to be a bridge. And so if she were to kick some, kick some human ass, it wouldn't look good and it wouldn't look in accordance with the mission that she's trying to forward. Uh huh. So I think it's not that she's weak, uh, or that she's like a damsel. Um, no, yeah. I think it. You know, Delenn has a lot of complex considerations to be made, um, and it is like a. <laughs> it's a big political faux pas, for her to beat down on some racists. And it it ends up being a faux pas for them to attack her because uh, later Dodger is like, "Who was that that I just defended?" And then Garibaldi's like. Oh, that was Ambassador Dylan. And she's like, oh, they just attacked an ambassador. Great. They're never working anywhere again. Great. Good. <laughs> what I don't get is why. What I'd get from that scene is Garibaldi comes back and tells the sergeant guy what happened, presumably, and yeah, says yeah. that charges are not going to be pressed. Uh huh. I didn't get that. Like, uh, why didn't he let them press charges? You mean? Yeah. Is that did Delenn request that because she walks up to him and she goes, "Mr. Garibaldi, Mr. Garibaldi." No, not quite. <laughs> That's just Londo. Yeah, uh, but she does go, "Mr. Garibaldi." Yeah, 
uh and i don't know what she tells him there does she tell him something or do we not do we not hear it she we don't it cuts away presumably okay. she's telling him this is what just happened yeah but then i don't know why there aren't repercussions for those dudes i thought on the case of garibaldi it was just him trying to not stir anything it's like i'm not gonna i'm not gonna cause problems with you guys if you guys don't cause problem with my people let's just forget this whole thing ever happened and move on like he's just trying to cover everyone's ass but they were assaulting an ambassador. I know, but they're also from Earth government. Like at some point, like if the prince of your continent or whatever, like assaults your ambassador, then like you can press charges against him. You're not going to win. <laughs> yeah, but he's not. A, they're not princes. They're just grunts. They're soldiers. But they work for know. Earth Force. Yeah, it just he's he's saving face here. Like on one hand, like yeah, it's 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 a bad look to not like defend your ambassador and be like, you guys attacked an ambassador, you're all going to jail. But also, they're soldiers and they're about to go to a, be in a conflict and then leave. Like they're not going to be here forever. Yeah. And I think this also just gets into the question of like, how does uh, criminal justice work in such in a situation like that? Like if he said you guys are all going to be in trouble, they just get sent to the brig, and they do get sent to the brig. No, they don't. Did they not the three of them? Oh no, that he was he was like threatening them and then he says not to. Like, but that's yeah. their worst punishment, is they're just not gonna be in their fight and they're gonna be in the prison. Yeah, I guess that's true. Uh I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm just more getting that like the repercussions are muddy for when in a situation like this where like A, you're on a neutral ship, and B, Garibaldi's not the boss, and C, like this is a one off conflict and not like all the guys doing it or whatever. It's it's a muddy thing. Yeah. Um I did like that this part segued into uh the best character of the episode, Dodger. Um yeah. the Dodger is the soldier that defends Delenn and she sees Garibaldi in the scene and says, Hey, uh you're hot. And he's like, well, I don't understand what sex is. And she's like, <laughs> I think you're sexually attractive and I want to have intercourse with you. And he's like, I can't honestly does not compute like what are you even talking about <laughs> you're skipping some steps first she's like oh oh hey you're cool uh see you later and he's like yeah bye and she whispers nice butt to her nice film. butt excuse me <laughs> that was the moment where i texted you and i was like uh-oh they finally they finally had the brilliant idea of introducing a horny woman on babylon 5 she has to die she's gonna be killed yeah, you're not t- allowed it's to be- tv dude yeah yeah unfortunately <laughs> you have a woman who's like interested in sex and like knows what she wants and is motivated by that and it's like oh yeah that's not allowed sorry it has to be a one-off side character who's doomed to a get end. very exactly um to she uh we get to, we get to see lou welch real briefly which made me smile i love lou welch the best <laughs> he's the awesome. best perfectly named by the way lou welch how's yeah. it going he's just this like blowhard annoying like <laughs> like cool tough he's just like the he's garibaldi's like right hand man he's the only good one garibaldi's had so many shitty right hand men yeah. that now he has one who's just like yep oh this woman's flirting with you i'll, I'll leave no you're good yeah dude. Go I, have got, I got it i'll be the head guy for a while <laughs> I'll be the i know i'm i seem incompetent because my name is lou welch yeah but it'll be fine it's fine there's no reason for it to not be fine um so garibaldi uh, takes her on a on a it seems like we're gonna get a little tour scene but she's like I want to see the bar and then I want to see your bedroom. And it's like, uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Okay, great. Yep. So we cut to them in the bedroom and then it gets like honestly hotter than like Babylon 5 has ever gotten. Like yeah, we're getting ever, shirts ever, coming ever. off, we're getting kissing. It's and then, weird and then to he's think like, how I got to call Lou. <laughs> yeah, Super I have to text. Sexy. 
Yeah, Lou. No, because no, Lou calls him and is like, "Sir, there's like shit going on." He's like, "No, no, 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 no cancel he, he all calls, my calls." No, he calls Lou. He calls Lou. Yeah, he's like, "I gotta check in on Lou," and then she's like, oh "Kissing his neck while he does that," because he's oh nervous God, about I... it. He's nervous about the sex, and he's nervous about uh, the safety of the thing. Right, and then Lou's like, "It's fine, bro. Everything's good. I can hear that woman <laughs> talking in the background. So just do your thing. Just have fun." Lou is a bro in this moment, and then uh, Garibaldi is all of us in the moment where he's like literally like one second away from having sex with like a beautiful military woman uh, with like no consequences, and then he's like, "So I had this wife." <laughs> it's like no. Garibaldi, shut up! Stop talking! No, 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 no. Like, Listen, I... I really, I really liked how this scene went. It's, it's. I mean, it's good. Like, it's not. I'm not. I'm just teasing because, yeah, like, yeah. I can relate to Garibaldi being like, no, but like, I want compassion in my life because I had a really bad situation with my wife, and like, things are really hard for me right now, and like, I don't necessarily want a fling. I and think it's like, so important for us to see male characters on Sensitive. television who are hesitant about yeah. physical relations mm-hmm. because of their emotions. I think that's really important because it's true to life. It happens. The, and the set, yeah, sorry. We should you. encourage people to talk about those things and be like, mm-hmm. uh, I know that it would be cool to have sex right now. Yeah. But uh, I I got shot <laughs> like <laughs> And this woman's having a kid, and I just want to do this right. If we're going to do this, it needs to mean something. And it adds some points to Garibaldi being a a non-trash man anymore. He's good Mm -hmm. now. He's probably the best character on the show. Oh, goodness. In terms of of the decisions that he's making, (laughs) I would say him and Ivanova probably have the the cleanest whistles right now, if that is an idiom, and I don't think it is. No, well, we, it's not, but I see what you're saying. Uh, Cleanest record. Yeah. And then her response to it is also uh, really great and and uh, like ugh, ugh, twist your guts around a little bit mm-hmm. um, where she says, oh, I'm sorry that like having sex with me is not good enough for you. I'm probably going to die. So I'd like to enjoy. I want to feel this. something. But anyway, bye. Storms out angry. He's not left in that. This is this is why, like, at the end of the day, the episode is coming on the side of, like, it's it's smart and he serves as a good model that he's hesitant there because we don't... It's not, like, making him feel bad. It's not... The rest of the episode isn't him moping, like, man, I, sh- I, I screwed up. <laughs> right. It's not the Seinfeld thing. And, you know, the millions of other sitcoms or the How I Met Your Mother thing where it's, like, we are supposed to feel bad when the main guy misses his chance for sex. Right, because like you're supposed to score or you're spo- whatever. Like exactly. That. In this, it's like, no, like he, he still has his job and he's still happy and people still respect him. And um, and he still likes her and they're still trying to build some sort of relationship. Right. <laughs> we should also mention all of this tender discussion is happening right under a painting of Daffy <laughs> Duck. <laughs> Which will never stop being the funniest thing in the world to me. Oh my god! Is he's like, oh yeah, like this is my room, and she's like, oh yeah, like she looks at the bed. She looks at the bed and goes, oh yeah. But I'm like, no, no, no. Look up one, like, yeah, look up one tilt more. Your chin up a little bit. <laughs> it's just a big honking picture of Daffy Duck on top of his bed. 
He's talking about his life problems and his wife and his pregnancy plot, and it's just like this Daffy Duck thing looms like a spec a specter. <laughs> it's so much. <laughs> so um, funny. I adore it. It's the, like the best set dressing I've seen on the whole show easily. Yeah. Um, and then we get this final scene, yeah, where uh, all of the military people are just walking into the back because it's like they have the big bar fight that Kefir starts because he's a. Uh, I'm sorry, but he's a fuck boy, and. Then the the general's like, all right, you guys don't want to go to the brig? Well, we're going to war. You're all probably going to die. Let's do it. And we watch them all walk to their death. And then uh, Garibaldi's like, uh, are you Dodger? Have you seen Dodger? Dodger. Do you know Dodger? Where's Dodger? Hey, hey. Oh, hey, Dodger. <laughs> oh, we, get hey, like, what's up? we get like 30 seconds of him looking for her. And then he's like, hey, thanks for that, by the way. And she's like, yeah, it's fine. I'm not actually mad. I just, I'm going to die. Like, I'm, I'm literally walking to my death right now. Wait, can we kiss one more time? And then the military, the general guy's like, stop kissing already. And then they stop kissing. And then he's, <laughs> and he's like, like, wink at Garibaldi in a really gross way. Yep. Like, he doesn't dude, wink nice. for real, but it feels like mm-hmm. and then, And then as expected, well, it's what's great is we don't see like, and then they died. But we see a news report that's like, yo, so they, they, they died. <laughs> well, what's really, what I really appreciated about the way that this goes is, mm-hmm. uh, Obviously, an episode like this is setting us up for something bad to happen. Of course. No matter what, this episode is going to end on a note where, oh, fuck, something. And some shows would do that, where they would say the strike was a failure, and they got ambushed, and everyone died, and the rebels are still doing what they need to do, or what they're trying to do. But this show... Does the bait and switch where they say, no, 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 look, it's going great. Mission it's great. successful. Mission accomplished. And the general is like, yeah, it's, it's awesome. And I'm doing a great job. And my son's proud of me. And what the episode is trying to say is even in those cases where we have something theoretically to celebrate, which even then we don't even really understand why we're celebrating it. It feels reminiscent of the U.S. meddling in in places during the cold war or something. Um, yeah. Even in those situations where as a group, because we love humanity and love earth and want earth to be the best, we have something to celebrate. There's still death mm-hmm. and there's still personal tragedy that goes with this. Um, which maybe that's a little rote or maybe we knew that these individuals were going to die. But the fact that the episode uh, paces the ending such that it, gives you a moment of celebration and then goes, Ooh, by the way, ugh, they're dead. That Victory was... doesn't come at the cost of the, it comes at the cost of these lives. Yeah. It was much more impactful uh, for me than the alternatives would have been. Definitely. Definitely. Um, and, and the framing it as like a news report that everybody's watching is actually really great too. Cause mm. it, it like it, it gives a in universe bias towards like, it's a great success. We did so much good work. We're finally taking back the thing and we get cheering and we get everybody watching and it's awesome. And uh, Franklin Sr. is like, hey, here's the thing. Uh, and then he gets cut off and leaves. And I don't think the people on the ship see what happened. I mean, Garibaldi finds out because he gets the report. Mm-hmm. But the final shot of everybody like bloodied and dead, like uh, all of the characters that we've seen in the episode so far that were in the group, in the Gropos group, um, Nobody else sees that. So it's just kind of the viewer being like, yeah, we know what happened. And right. like everyone else can figure what happened. But uh, 
and the news isn't going to show that to people. Yeah, the news isn't going to show it. And ultimately, these tragedies are things that are suffered uh, in solitude. Because nobody else knew this uh, Dodger person. Only Garibaldi really did. He doesn't Mm -hmm. have anyone that he can talk to about it, except for Lou Welch, maybe. And what's Lou Welch going to say? He's going to be like, oh, sorry, bro, it's tough. And he's not going to understand exactly why it's so painful. Right. And who's, you know, who's Warren Keffer going to talk to? I mean, he's got no, he's got no fucking friends. <laughs> the final shot, I forgot about it. The final shot of the episode isn't the people dying. It's Warren Keffer going, damn it, I don't have any more friends anymore. This yeah. sucks. It's so cool to have friends for an episode. I had people who liked me and I had like a pat, like roommates. He's just like in a button up. He's not even in his military clothes. He's just like going to church and he's like, yeah. oh, I guess I'm alone again. Back to being the space, the flyboy of the year. And that is the moment that we end uh, Gropus on. Yeah. So, yeah, in the context of coming after the Coming of Shadows episode, I think this is a much better status quo for the show. Uh, yeah. Even just because, like, we're reminded still that that happened uh, canonically. Like, they mentioned, like, the Earth and the, I mean, like, the Narn and the Centauri. We're given Babylon 5 bigger weapons. Yeah, that's yeah. a permanent change that they mention is that Franklin, as a, re- as a reward for, like, housing his people, is like, we're going to give you guys better weapons and shields. Um, They're like, why? We don't need those. And he's like, you'll need them. Because right. <laughs> we, we know that they will. Um, yeah. that's, that's where we leave it. And I, I don't think we spent a lot of time talking about uh, Stephen Franklin and his dad and their relationship, but mm-hmm. I just, I think it's really well done and well acted. And Fantastic acting, yeah. It doesn't necessarily tell us anything new about Stephen Franklin. It just further fleshes out why he is so deeply principled. Um, what is at stake with him, like breaking the rules and wanting to treat aliens and not just humans. Mm-hmm. Um, it's an important facet of his character for us to understand, especially as we go into this war where there's probably going to be more pressure on him to remain loyal to just uh just humans right 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 uh i'm i'm really curious though as like with this kind of thing where does franklin find himself during a conflict other than like just a combat medic because he has opinions about stuff as we know he's mm-hmm. motivated and, and cares about things so does he come on the side of of one of the factions or not or does he just try to make peace in a way and how does that manifest itself it's all very exciting yeah um, I think uh, Franklin Sr. asks Sheridan at one point, like, who do you support if that conflict comes to a boil? And he's like, oh, I don't really want to make that decision right now. But he's like, yeah, Earth Earth will at some point make a decision. We will pick someone. Yeah. And you will be told to fight with them, whether you want to or not. Right. Big stuff. Big. Up. It's very hot. It's very warm and, and hot. Uh, <laughs> can hmm. you tell me what we're watching next week on Chatsalon 5? I certainly can, fella. I can certainly tell you what we're watching. Next week, we are watching the next two episodes of Babylon 5 Season 2. First, Episode 11, All Alone in the Night. Sheridan is captured and experimented upon by aliens. No, I got nothing. Sure. That could go either way. Yeah. Episode 12, Acts of Sacrifice. Mounting tensions between the Narn and the Centauris are reflected in conflicts on Babylon 5. Good. Sounds good. Does Amazon call them Centauris? That's interesting. Yeah. 
unacceptable. I'm, 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 I'm furious. No, that's that one definitely sounds like the, the the meaty one. Sheridan is captured and experimented on by aliens. Could go honestly either way. But seems like um, we're gonna get a few Sheridan centric episodes. Unfortunatamente. <laughs> I just want to. I just want the wife episode. I want more wife stuff. Uh, it's actually it's coming up. Actually. Oh really? Oh, say fantastic. Yep. Delicious. God, I'm just scrolling through the thumbnails and they're all thumbnails of Sheridan. No, thank you, Babylon 5. Yeah, oh, no, it's Peeking at the episode descriptions and I would say a solid 60% of them start with the word Sheridan. Uh, no, thanks. Bye-bye. Canceled. Um, for now, we are going to take it to the plug zone. If you would like to contact us at the Chat Salon 5 studios here in sunny Tulsa, Oklahoma. you can, Is Tulsa in Oklahoma? Yeah. Oh, yes! <laughs> Nailed it! You can do so by uh, emailing chatspod at gmail.com. That's C-H-A-T-Z-P-O-D at gmail.com. You can also tweet at us at chatspod, spelled the same way, on Twitter if you want to send us comments or feedback or see when the episodes get posted. Um, Magellan, yes, uh, where can people go if they want to support us financially? They can head over to... I don't know the URL, bro. Why are you doing this to me? Oh, the URL for our Patreon? Patreon.com slash chatspot, you mean? They can go to patreon.com slash chatspot. I've never done this part before, but I'll try. Uh, And that's where you can give us some money on a monthly basis if you'd like to keep this this boat afloating, this ship aflying. And at this point in time, we have two potential reward tiers that you can buy into uh the first is you can pay two dollars a month and you will have access to a monthly movie commentary done by us called commentary chats uh our commentary chats movie for january is be kind rewind we've also covered such hits as uh ants and uh other movies (laughs) that i'm forgetting face off uh, uh, the Shaolin Soccer, lots of good ones. You can check that out. And we uh, are actually going to triple down in the month of February, if you can believe it, uh, at no additional cost to you. So you'll be getting commentaries on uh, a few really fantastic, classic, in different ways, uh, romantic comedies in the month of February. So look out for that. You can also back us at $5 a month, which will give you access to Chats Nights which is the show where Alan and I talk for 30 minutes about something, whatever is on our minds. The next one, the most recent one we talked about, uh, whoa, 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 what was that? Never Have I, I Ever just, or something like that? Yes. Uh, I was sorry. I just really liked listening to you do that all on your own. That was really impressive. Thanks, bro. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, it was Never Have I Ever. Yeah. And then uh, I think for the next one, we'll talk about... Uh, media that we consumed in 2018 and what was impactful for us and and why i think that sounds good to me so that sound good to you it does great uh and as always you can suggest things for us to talk about on chats nights or uh or movies for us to watch in commentary chats and we really appreciate any donations of any amount because it helps us to pay for hosting and for uh editing software and for all sorts of stuff like that so Thank you for doing that. If you're doing that, you're the best. We love you. We do love you. 
Magellan, what is your chatsum for this week? My chatsum for this week, a little something for you to snack on if you've got extra time on your hands. I'm sure you've heard about it and maybe you've already consumed it, but if not, Netflix has recently put out a Black Mirror special called Bandersnatch, which is a film, I suppose, or just an episode of Black Mirror. I don't really know how you would describe it in those terms. I think special is the best way to talk about it. Uh, it is about a young man in the 1980s who is making a choose-your-own-adventure video game based on a book called Bandersnatch that is a choose-your-own-adventure book. And book. it is book, and it is a choose-your-own-adventure movie. So you, the viewer, you have direct input on what the main character does or says at certain moments. And uh, it's it's creepy. I watched it with Alan. And I don't watch Black Mirror because I don't like the scary stuff. So I was I was holding on to him. And it's not that scary, but it is uh, it's haunting in a certain way that if you're somebody who likes like RPGs and choose your own adventure stories, it really forces you to look in the mirror and uh, think about why you like that. Uh, and I recommend it. What yeah, about, it's really yeah. it's really um, it's it's interesting. It, it's kind of I, I, I say this a lot when I talk about it. It's like interesting the way the Black Mirror is where it's a great idea. It's just handled in a really corny way. But like that corniness is, is often very fun. Um, yeah. Like some Black Mirror episodes are corny and then just boring. And then some are corny in a fascinating and really funny way. And I think uh, Bandersnatch is mostly the latter where it's just like, wow, you guys really like put a lot of work into this idea and then like kind of muddled around with your themes for a bit. And then it just ends. Um but it's really it's it's I think the technology is cool and what it has to say about like free will and uh, our obsession with like controlling things is uh, is pretty on point uh, in the modern era. Yeah, and we'll see. I'm doubtful that we'll see a wave of choose your own adventure uh, movies or TV shows because that just seems like incredibly difficult to mm -hmm. produce and uh, film. But I'm sure it's not the last of these that we'll see. And maybe one day we'll see a uh, choose your own adventure movie that is like really artful and, uh, you know, transcendent. And yeah. that, that idea excites me. Mm -hmm. What was your um, chatsum for this week? My chatsum for this week is a poem, or I guess it's a pair of poems. Um, so for people who don't know, uh, I have been for a long time a big fan of this guy taylor molly who is a poet that i discovered through youtube uh because he used to do poetry on the deaf poetry tv show that i believe most deaf actually hosted back to be kind rewind uh and he has this poem called totally like whatever you know that i read uh and watched a video of in early college and it stuck in my head so much that i ended up performing it in front of a bunch of people in my college and i don't usually do stuff like that and it's just a very important poem to me. And if you want to understand uh, kind of how I approach language mm -hmm. and trying to speak with integrity uh, and meaning. Uh, and it's like one of the reasons I even got into podcasting was I was like, I want to I want to like say big words and mean something with them. Uh, that that poem definitely influenced me. Uh, recently, I actually found a like response poem from this poet, Melissa Lozada Oliva, called Like Totally Whatever. Uh, where she kind of breaks down Molly's point about how young people aren't trusted or believed anymore when they talk about things because 
they uh, have too much hesitation in their voice and she kind of bounces back and says, hey, well, you know, sometimes we have hesitation because we're afraid of, of being talked down and being interrupted. And uh, I just think that like the, the sort of like conversation between two, two poems is yeah. really fascinating. So you want to like watch those in pairs. Uh, it makes for an interesting uh, little bit of mind snackage. Cool. Mind snackage is how I like to refer to watching and reading poems. Oh, yeah. Mind snackage. Uh, maybe we should just call our chat some mind, sna- mind snacks. Ooh. <laughs> uh, either way, uh, thank you so much for listening to this episode of Chat Salon 5. Peace. It's probably not possible. <laughs> oh, oh, bud. <laughs>